Okay, well today we're going to continue our study of uh, hell and the, the future and what's, what's ahead of us as in the... Come in. And what's ahead of us in the, in the future, our prophecy sequence here that we're in. And uh, last lesson that we had, we talked about one of the three major um, uh, kind of hell places, if you will. And the, today we're going to talk about the other two. So the, the three places that are, that are involved with the discussion of hell, and we usually get them all muddled up, is Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, uh, Hades, or Sheol, and uh, the Lake of Fire. So these are the three major kind of uh, uh, termino- pieces of terminology you really have to sort out if you're going to study this and and actually hear what the Bible has to say. Now last time we focused in on Gehenna and we saw that it is actually a shortening for Geh, which is valley, and Ben, son of Hinnom, valley of the sons of Hinnom. It's a literal valley, it's still there today on the one side of the kind of uh, snow cone looking uh, structure that is Jerusalem and on the other side is the Kidron Valley. You've got Gehenna on one side, or Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom Valley, and, and Kidron Valley on the other. And this Hinnom Valley was the place where they did uh, sacrifices to Moloch. It was the downwind portion of the city where all the muck and, and uh, uh, sewage from the city was swept, uh, where they threw the dead carcasses, and they would typically have that lit, lit on fire. And So you've got this picture of worms and fire and corruption and uh, additionally wickedness that is this picture of Gehenna we looked at Jeremiah 19 where uh, Jeremiah takes the um, elders to this potter's gate which is one of the gates and it's the gate that uh, overlooks the valley of Hinnom and in Jeremiah 19 uh, Jeremiah says this valley is not going to be called Tophet anymore because Tophet was another word for Gehenna. Tophet means drums. And the reason they called it Tophet is because when they would sacrifice children to Moloch by placing them in this red-hot iron idol, they would beat the drums to drown out the crying. And he says, this is not going to be called Tophet any longer. It's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter because I'm sending... Babylon in, and there's going to be so many deaths, they're not going to be able to bury them all, they're just going to pile them up in this valley. So this very uh, vivid picture of death, destruction, and this is used in the scripture as a, as a picture of what sin does. And I would claim it's a generic picture uh, that you then, by context, have to uh, understand what is, what is being talked about here. It's typically, instead of put in Gehenna, it's typically translated hell. But um, I, I think that actually mis- I think it's actually a mistranslation. That's my, that's my view. And when, when Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, you're, you need to um, make sure you take care of these children, because if you don't, it's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and you throw in the sea than mislead people and go to Gehenna. And he's talking about this valley. Well, so what does that mean to them? 
Most certainly, if you look at Paul talking about sin, the wages of sin is death, he's actually in a discipleship passage when he says that. Uh, And it's true for all of us. If uh, Travis were to decide to leave Denise, uh, that would create a lot of death. It would, it would, uh, might, might be a physical death. I don't know. Denise, pretty feisty. <laughs> sin brings death. You know, death is separation, and when we sin, we separate, we create all kinds of separations, and that's a current reality. And part of this picture is to help us understand how immensely damaging sin is to us in this life. So what does Gehenna have to do with the next life? And what about Hades? And what about the lake of fire? So we're going to talk about that uh, today. Let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 16. And we're going to do what I think is the most vivid passage about this topic other than Revelation. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. I'm going, to have to, I'm going to go through this a couple times. It's pretty short. Let me just read it first, and then let me give you some background, then we'll go through it again. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man, this is Jesus speaking. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried off by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Okay, so this is a vivid picture. What does it mean? Let me give you some background. First of all, I think it's important to understand something about this term Hades. That Hades and Gehenna are uh, are not synonyms. They're not synonyms. Hades has a very specific definition, and um, it is it is the, being used here as a synonym for Sheol. Now, let me show you uh, some some uh, proof of that because after you understand what Sheol is, it may it may uh, kind of uh, 
one went the wrong way. Look at Acts 2. It may uh, create a little bit of uh, tension relative to what you've traditionally thought because a lot of what I'm going to tell you today goes against what we've kind of traditionally been told about all this. And again, as I've said in this whole prophecy thing, we're going to focus on what we can know. Everything else is just a model. We'll make sure we don't miss the big point. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and uh, Peter's sermon here. In Peter's sermon, he says, uh, let's look at 2.22, men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because he was not possible, it was not possible, he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he quotes the Psalms, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. So Jesus is in Hades in this, in this passage. This is a quote from Psalm chapter 16. And if we went to Psalm chapter 16, the word that is used in Psalm chapter 16 is the word Sheol. So Peter quotes chapter 16 of Psalms that says Sheol. And when he quotes it to this group of Jewish um, um, men and women that are, he's telling about Jesus and asking them to accept Jesus as their Messiah, he just substitutes it directly, substitutes Hades for Sheol. A further proof that they're synonyms is the Septuagint. The Septuagint is uh, called that because apparently 70 scholars translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. You can get a copy of it today. You can look online and it's a Greek um, uh, manuscript of the New Testament. I use an interlinear because I can't read Greek. Uh, But if you go look... uh, for best I can tell, it's not, there wasn't an easy tool on my thing where I could actually tell it for sure. But best I can tell, every instance of Sheol in the Old Testament is, uh, trans, is substituted with Hades. Now Hades in this world, this is a Greek-Roman world that we're in here. Hades in this world was a very well-developed concept. And if you go look at Greek mythology... Hades is uh, an actual place. It's a place where the dead go. It has all sorts of geography associated with it. There's a river Styx, and you've got to cross this river. And there's, but most notably, there's two compartments. There's a compartment where the righteous go, and there's a compartment where the wicked go, and there's a gulf between them in Hades. There's other geography as well. There's a field for the battle for the heroes and all this sort of thing. And uh, the 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 part that's called uh, the, for the good part, I never can. Ele- Elysium, Elysium, and the bad part is Tartarus, I think. So if 
it's interesting here because if we go back to Luke chapter 16, <clears throat> what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 16 uh, is actually porting in this Hades concept, but he shifts some things. Now, I have a friend who grew up as an Orthodox Jew, and he's actually a Jewish rabbi. And I asked him, what did the Jews think? What would the first century Jews have been thinking about this? It was very interesting. His, his uh, comment back to me was kind of short. It was very interesting. And um, he said that the way the Jews thought of it, they, that Hades and Sheol are the same thing. And Hades and Sheol was just the place where you go when you die. Everybody goes there. Which compartment you're in has to do with how you lived your life. Uh, you know how we say, if you go to heaven, who's at the gate in our, in our world? Peter. Peter's at the gate. Who's at the gate in the Jewish world? Abraham. Yeah, Abraham's at the gate. So you got the bosom of Abraham. And the way they thought of it is that you got Abraham's actually guarding this gulf. And that's part of what we saw in this picture here. And, decide, and you, can't, you can't go through. He's got, sort of got the keys there, if you will. Uh, but there's a really distinct difference here between the Jewish version. They still have the place of the dead and the two compartments. But uh, they don't call this... I'm sorry, I just can't... Ellie, Elysium. I don't know why I can't remember that word. Elysium. The whole audience said it. That, uh, Elysium. Um, he doesn't call it Elysium. What does he call it? Abraham's bosom. Yeah. There's another word that they called it, that the Jews called it. Paradise. That's right. And there's actually one more that's generally not in the Scripture, but it was used in the Talmud and so forth. Gani Don, which is the Garden of Eden. So there's an understanding among the Jewish uh, sort of uh, perspective that the Garden of Eden's reconstituted. And we, we see that picture in Revelation, don't we? I'll give to you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God, that sort of thing. So we, we, have, this, we have this Hades, we have this Sheol. And let me show you that um, an Old Testament verse that, that shows that everybody expected to go there. If I can find my note here. Sheol, yeah, everybody expected to go to Sheol. It's, so it's, in other words, it's a generic place for the dead. It's sort of a, which, which uh, compartment you go in was kind of the key question. And now I can't find it in my uh, notes. Let's see. Apologize. Oh, here we go. Genesis 37. Let's look at Genesis 37. And sometimes uh, Sheol is interesting because I think our sort of uh, culture is confused about this. Sheol is often translated in stuff like this. Uh, I mean, like New King James and other things uh, with other words. 3735. 3735. So this is Jacob. And uh, so let me just start in 33. And he recognized it and said, It's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned for his son many days, and all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. 
Now, again, the translation, this sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Do you think of it going to your grave and with your son? They usually don't bury people in the same grave. I guess in, in Israel they put people in the same tomb, so that could be it. But this is the word sheol. And, and what, what the translators tend to do is if it sounds sort of hellish, they'll put hell in there. And if it doesn't sound kind of hellish, they'll put pit or grave. That's what the translators did. Uh, the LXX translators didn't do that. They just put Hades. And really it should just say Sheol. Because Jacob expects to go to Sheol and see uh, Joseph there in that particular case. Well, Jesus went to Sheol uh, back in Acts 2. But he didn't stay there. His spirit was not stayed there. Why? Because he defeated death. Now, additionally, it's important to note some things about this uh, parable that Jesus is telling here. Let's go back and look at Luke 16 now that you kind of have that background. It's Sheol. Everybody's in Sheol. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, where did he say he was going to be the day he died? Paradise. Paradise. Who was he going to take with him to paradise? The thief on the cross, that's right. So this is, this is Sheol. He's going to uh, Abraham's bosom. Okay, so let's go back and look at uh, 1619. There's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. What kind of life was the rich man living? It's a good life, right? He's real, he's real uh, has a great benefit. Uh, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus means blessed of God. Full of sores, laid at his gate, wanting to be fed with the crumbs from the table. The dogs licked his sores. So what kind of life is Lazarus living? Miserable. Is he getting any crumbs from the table? Not getting any crumbs from the table. He wants the crumbs. He's not getting the crumbs. What's he getting? Licked by the dogs. What are the dogs getting? The crumbs. So the dogs get the crumbs. Lazarus gets licked. You get this picture? Okay, so then he dies, the angels come and take him to Abraham's bosom. And then the rich man died and was buried, and being torments in Hades. So this is interesting too, because Sheol and Hades are the same place. However, he's using the word Hades to apply to the torment side, and Abraham's bosom to apply to the paradise side. Which again, this is, he's got the same basic structure as the Greeks, but with very distinct differences. Okay, and then the rich man also died and was buried. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So what does that tell you about this place? You can see everybody, right? Yeah. What else does it tell you? What's the Bible tell us about Abraham? Is he dead or alive? Well, he's dead, but what did Jesus say? I'm the God of the living. Okay, so... Um, this is still Abraham. He hasn't turned into some sort of spirit or other person or third party. It's still Abraham. He's still Abraham. And the rich man recognized Lazarus, didn't he? So what does that tell us? You're still yourself, right? Okay. And he remembers his brothers, right? And he's concerned about his brothers. What does that tell you? He still has his conscience. Isn't this interesting? And then he cried said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. What does that tell you? It's not a happy place, right? Do you want to go to... You, is, Jesus is telling this story. Is this where you want to go? This is not where you want to go. 
But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now be comforted. But now he's comforted, and you're tormented. And besides all this, there's a gulf here. I, I can't let you across, and I can't let I can't let anybody pass. Abraham has the keys, kind of an idea. And he says, Then I beg you, therefore, Father Abraham, send my send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He may testify them. They'll come that they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, Well, they have they have Moses. He says, No, no, no. That's not good enough because they need to do something. What is it they need to do? What is it? Repent. They need to repent. Now, this is strange to us because we grew up with with the idea that there's this golden ticket that you get. And Jesus is kind of Willy Wonka. And if you get the golden ticket, you get in. And if you don't get the golden ticket, you don't get in. And that's really all there is. And uh, this is a much different picture than that. It's not just that. Because Hades and Sheol is a temporary place. It, it doesn't last. Let me show you where it's a temporary place. Look at Revelation 20, verse 14. And even though the script, I, to my knowledge, this is the only place in the scripture that tells you that Hades and Sheol is a temporary place, and yet the Jews understood that this was a temporary place. 2014, let's start with 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So Hades is the... I think here, uh, Hades could mean both compartments. I'm, I'm inclined to think it's the just the torment compartment, since that's the way Jesus used it. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Isn't that interesting? So Hades is a temporary deal. Where does it end up? In the lake of fire. The lake of fire is permanent, as best I can tell. We'll talk about it next. The Jews, according to my Orthodox friend, understood that that this Gehenna, I'm sorry, this uh, Hades, was actually a temporary place. In fact, he told me that that the Catholic idea of purgatory came straight from this Jewish understanding of Hades. Now, to uh, us as Protestants, the very word purgatory just sort of uh, sends you into shingles. It's, it's just uh, something you cannot consider. It's the worst of the worst even possible to talk about. And there's a good reason for that. The doctrine of purgatory as it was um, developed in the Middle Ages was exceedingly corrupt. Um, the, the basic doctrine that got developed, and let's, let's use Sheol here as an example, is if you're going to go, if you live an unrepentant life, and this is this is the same thing that my Jewish friend told me the Jews understood. If you live an unrepentant life, if you're a believer and you live an unrepentant life, you go to this negative compartment, which they also call Gehenna, for a time, and this purges your sins. And so this was a huge motivating factor for people. You know, Jesus here considers that this is sufficient of a picture to want you not to live a corrupt life. Even though it's temporary. And what the Catholics figured out is that this was such a huge motivating factor that they could 
raise a gazillion dollars off of it. And this is kind of what men do. So they actually turned all the sacraments into fundraising things. They turned uh, the blood, shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins into wafer sales. So you go to church and you, have, and you don't get to go to heaven at all unless you go and get that wafer every week. Uh, and when you do, they, they actually today, they still stick a coin thing right in front of you. Uh, and you can't have the wafer unless you've gone to confession. And who, who gets what happens at confession? You put, put the coins in the... Yeah, because we feed the priest. And then to top it all off, they said you can actually buy your way out of this Gehenna. So you can go ahead and live a wicked life like the rich man did. And as long as you give sufficient money to them, uh, you get a free pass and you get to go out of torments and into Abraham's bosom, so to speak. Uh, and you can live your life the way you want to. And it's just a matter of money. And they put it on a, a proportionate scale to your income. Isn't that cool? And so it was really corrupt. This is, this is actually what triggered the Reformation. Was, and, and interestingly enough, Luther in his uh, thesis did not... Uh, say you should get rid of all this... What's the word for this that I'm talking about? Indulgences. He didn't say get rid of indulgences altogether. He said get rid of the ones that are forever. Because you could actually pay enough money where you got like a lifetime uh, fly anywhere you want to on American Airlines sort of thing. So this this is kind of foreign to us because um, we have this idea if you get the golden ticket, then just everything's good. And it's created a lot of tension in my mind for uh, why... So if, if I'm in, and when I get there, everything's the same and nothing matters, then why would I want to live all this obedience and pain now? Why don't I just get along and kind of live my life you know, as, as much like this rich man as possible and you know, throw the beggars under the table and let the dogs live? Why, why, do, I, why do I want to do that? And, and that's not, I think, the picture the Bible really comes up with. Now, interestingly enough to me, this has actually become a topic that's become fairly popular, uh, at least on the stuff that I read, and I don't read extensively. And the interesting thing to me is that people like me who believe hell's real, and I told you when we got into this, it's going to be worse than you think, right? they, they tend to, we tend to, kind of say, I don't want to talk about this because I like the idea that they're going to go to hell. And I don't want anybody to get off. That, that tends to be kind of the flavor of it. And the people that I, that I hear talking about this stuff and that I read, they say the same things I've said, and then they come up with a totally different conclusion with, well, since the old model that we were taught is wrong, then uh, this new model must say that it's really not that bad and we don't need to worry about it. And my response to that is, what? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to give you a model at the end of this class today that I think is kind of wild. Again, the big, the, big points, the big point's clear. The model's just the model. Let's, let's don't focus on you know, the, the mechanics of how this works. We don't know. But I'm, I'm going to tell you from my standpoint, this, this model here has not made me think of hell as a uh, don't worry about it thing. It's made me think about not only sin, 
But also, every life, everything I, decision I make in life, how much it matters. And to understand that pain in this life is actually a really good thing if it comes through obedience. Because the alternative is pain later. That's the picture I get from this. Well, so, so if Hades is temporary and we can't really know all that much about it and how it works, what, what, can we, what can we know? Well, let's talk about the lake of fire. Happy topic. It is, it is actually a much happier topic than you're going to realize. First, let me just talk about fire in the Bible. Uh, can you give me some, some, just think about some things, uh, particularly from the Old Testament, that relates to fire? Just give me some, some pictures that come to your mind. So, sorry? Burning bush. Who was in the burning bush? Satan, obviously, right? Because the fire is uh, all about hell and Satan. Is that who was there? God. God was there. Well, what's up with that? Isn't fire bad? Okay, good. What else? What other picture do you have about fire in the Bible? What is it? The pillar of fire. Satan was in the pillar of fire and he went and did what? Oh, no, wait. God led the Israelites in the pillar of fire, didn't he? He was the pillar of fire. Isn't that interesting? What are some other... Um, fire that came down consumed the temple of Baal. Fire that came down. Yeah, okay, so uh, here's Elijah. And he says, whoever is the, consumes the offering, whoever's the God of fire, that's the real God. And the uh, prophets of Baal cut themselves and screamed all day long. And, and uh, Elijah's over there mocking them. And he, he prays and the fire comes down, consumes the... Who, who? Not only that, there's actually a deal. Remember when uh, the angel comes to uh, the parents of, uh, of uh, Samson, I think it was, and he actually, they do a, an altar uh, and they do a sacrifice and he actually walks over into the fire and just ascends in it. I, that's a really cool picture. It's almost like uh, Star Trek. <laughs> Oh, so who was next? Who said? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, rain fire from heaven. And that was who who sent the fire? God or the angels? Yeah. Okay. Good. You're doing awesome. What else? What? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. So they throw the three guys in the fire and they look in there and he says, There's four. And the fourth one is like an angel, the Son of God. And they're walking around in there having a party. They don't even smell like smoke. They're actually enjoying themselves. Isn't that funny? How about Sinai? What happens on Sinai? Trumpets, smoke, fire. And what, well, what, they, what the, Moses tells the Israelites, it says, Our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that interesting? The sacrifices have to burn and it pure. Yeah, and he says, "Well, that smells good." It's interesting. So let me now tell you every instance I could find. I'm sure I missed some. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where it sounds like lake of fire. I'm going to tell you that phrase only shows up right at the end of Revelation. That's the only time we have the phrase. But I went back looking for every instance. Now, I, I didn't, I'm a 
I'm a high-level person, not a detailed person, so I, I did a lot of skimming here. The first place I found was in Daniel 7. Let's look at Daniel 7. I think we got the lake of fire, the first aspect of the lake of fire in, in Daniel chapter 7. And you know Revelation largely uh, reproduces the um, imagery of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 7. Let's look at verse uh, 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Who's that? God, okay. His garment was white as snow. The hair to... The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Isn't that interesting? Its wheels a burning fire. I, I honestly, I don't know. What is in your mind when you hear that? The wheels, a fiery throne with wheels on it. That's a little too wild for me. I, I don't exactly know what that is. Like, on the top, on the side, underneath. What? A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Kind of sounds like that furnace, doesn't it? A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking... This starts off with, as I considered the horns. And anybody that wants to go to UT needs to really think about this passage. (laughs) I watched till the beast was slain. I don't think that's a long horn there, though. This is actually the Antichrist. And its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now, I find this fascinating because here we've got the beast, the beast being slain, all the, all the fire right around the throne and proceeding from the throne and the beast is thrown in that. So that's, that's one. Let me go to uh, now uh, second, second Thessalonians 1. is the next one I could find. 2 Thessalonians 1. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Verse eight. Let's see, where does this sentence start? It's a long sentence. Let me just start with uh, seven here, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. 
Sure sounds lake of fireish. And that's about it until you get to Revelation that I could find. Because most of the rest of it, Sheol and Hades. Let's go to Revelation 14, verse 10. This is the first time that the actual phrase comes up. Revelation 14, verse 10. Uh, Start 9, then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, same guys in Daniel 7, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night. I'm sorry, that is not the first time lake of fire shows up. This is a lake of fire sounding uh, verse with the beast. Okay, then let's go to Revelation 19. I think this is the first time it shows up. 19 verse 20. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now that's interesting, isn't it? These guys don't die. They just go straight in to the lake of fire. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on his horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. I hear sometimes this... This um, this whole kind of not, God must has to be nice contingent, and the God has to be nice contingent has this narrative that in the Old Testament God was mean because he just kind of you know was started off kind of nasty and grumpy, but through time as he dealt with us and we straightened him out, you know he got mellow and permissive and is really nice now. He would never do those things again. Well. Have you ever read Revelation? Come on. I mean, he rides down on a horse and just wipes everybody out. There's way more death and destruction in Revelation than everything else. All put together. God says, I never change. And he doesn't like death. And he doesn't like sin. And he's purging it all out. And he's going he's gonna to write the whole world. How can you write the whole world if you don't fix the stuff that's broke? Okay, so... The beast and the false prophet go straight into the lake of fire. Let's look at 20, 14. We looked at this already. Death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we've now introduced another term. This could be talking about the event of casting death and Hades into the lake of fire, or it could be talking about that the lake of fire equals the second death. I'm not sure which it is. I, I tend to think it's the latter, that he's talking about this lake of fire is the second death. So now we get some additional clues that we have to look at. Oh, let's see. Uh, there are I um, 
have a deficiency in my notes here. I wrote down five of the last six occurrences of Lake of Fire. Uh, I'm sorry, five of the six last uses of fire are Lake of Fire. And then I didn't wrote, write down what verses they were. Somebody got a search machine and while I'm doing it, can you, can you look search on the last? What is it? Revelation 21.8. 21.8. Okay. What is it? 19? All right. Thank you very much. We'll have a group teaching here. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with that he should strike the nations. And he'll... Oh, 2015? Uh, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay. 2010? Very good. 2010. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. So it's interesting, the beast and false prophet go first alive and later on Satan's thrown in there with them. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now one of the things you have to watch in the scriptures, there's this this, uh, forever term is Ionios, A-I-N-O, Brandon, O-N-A, so which means age, and it, it can just mean like your lifetime, it can mean a lot of things. This is Ionia of Ionia, it's ages of ages, which I think is as close as you get to forever. So we, we know at least these three are in there forever in the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is an eternal spot. Okay, what's another one? Got any more? 21A. Um, okay, let's start with 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, excellent. Any more? Any more? Alright, well let me give you some clues here that we also have to consider in addition to this lake of fire. Remember, Hades has gone into the lake of fire, and now the lake of fire is, is what's left. So let's look at a couple other things. Let's look at Revelation 21.8. Oh, we just looked at Revelation 21 eight. 26. Let's look at 26. Um, let's start with 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then probably the most disturbed, the, the verse that got me going down this road to understand was this next verse, Revelation 2.11. Now, I want you to understand that an overcomer in this letter to the seven churches uh, is controversial. And what I see people do, if you read commentaries, they'll say, if it's something that good, an overcomer is somebody, a believer that goes to heaven. And if it's something bad, it's somebody that looked like an overcomer but really wasn't or something like that. It doesn't even make any sense to me. And what I looked at and, and saw is that the last church, Jesus says, if you overcome as I overcame. 
And I said, well, overcomer can't mean believe in Jesus for your salvation. Because Jesus didn't believe in Jesus for his salvation. Jesus didn't need salvation. Jesus is salvation. He didn't receive salvation. What he did is he overcame sin and temptation and his name was lifted above every name as a result. That's where Jesus was. That's what an overcomer is. And in 2.11 it says... um, See, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested and have tribulation, be faithful of death. I'll give you the crown of life. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So I started looking at this and saying, you know, that just sounds like someone who's not an over... If you're, not, if you're an overcomer, you're not hurt by the second death. And if you are, you are. So what in the world's up with that? Let me give you one more um, passage now. It's a passage we accept, even though we don't like the purgatory idea. We have our own substitute for it. We call it the judgment seat of Christ. And look at 1 Corinthians 3 real quick. 1 Corinthians 3. And this is, I think, the same kind of imagery. Paul writing, and Paul's Jewish. Verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're God's building. According to the grace of God which was given me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear. How? The day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of which one sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. There's another passage in Revelation where these people are taking vengeance on and they're right at the throne of God. So there's, there's this, there's this uh, in the presence of God picture. What did Isaiah do when he went into the presence of God? Did he say, now I'm happy all the day? <laughs> yeah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I see my own sinfulness and I want it to go away. And God's merciful to him. What does he do? Burns his lips off with a coal. Is that something you would want? Well, the answer should be yes, because it's better than having nasty lips. You see the, see the point? This is a purging that's taking place. One more, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present in this body or absent in, in the presence of God, to be well-pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. (coughs) Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we're well known to God and I also trust are well known to your consciousness. So here's, here's what I do with all this. Now look, I started this whole prophecy thing with the history of people looking at prophecy is they miss the big point. And I think the reason we do that as people is because we want to create a, a system we can manipulate, like the medieval church did. 
mean, those guys made a gazillion dollars off of that manipulation. We don't want to do that. And the big point from the last lesson was, sin is a bad idea, it's not worth it, it doesn't pay. In this life, the lesson from this week is, sin's a really bad idea, it doesn't pay forever. And serving and overcoming and doing all the things that are really painful in this life, obeying God is a very painful thing pays enormous dividends. Paul says, beyond what we can even think or imagine for those who love him. So that's the big point. Now, I'm going to tell you what my model is. You can totally throw this out the window if you want to. It's just a model. Here's my model. I think the lake of fire is Jesus. That's kind of crazy sounding, isn't it? Until you think about pillar of fire. Our God is a consuming fire, a throne of fire, fire in the in the in the uh, you know the four whatever it was the furnace the fiery furnace, and I think what's going to happen is that we go as believers we're going to go to this judgment seat of Christ, and I think there's going to be pain as the what's left of the nastiness of our lives burned away. Now, when I first started thinking about that, it's it, I really didn't like it. And as I've gone in a little deeper in life, I like it a lot. I was reading C.S. Lewis one day and he said, do you want to go through all of life with all that junk? And I thought, no! I hate... You mean, Don't you hate the flesh part that you have to struggle with? Don't you want it all singed and taken away and learn the lessons that you need to learn? But here's the thing. I get a chance to purge that now. It's painful. The clear picture I get from this is I can have the refining fire of Jesus in my soul today or I can have it at the judgment seat. Either way, I'm going to be purified. And he's telling me really clearly, if you'll do it now, I'll bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Now, that's motivating to me. And you know what sin I struggle with the most? Now, I get everybody's attention. (laughs) James chapter 4 says, To him who knows what's good and does not do it, to him it's sin. That's pretty broad, don't you think? And I have been given the ability to do all kinds of good. As every American has. And I'm concerned about it. I think about it every day. You know why? Because I get it. I get that there's going to be fire. Now, the rest of my model is this. I think our new resurrected bodies, we're going to have a plant capability. You know, have you noticed that everything we do is dependent on the sun? And in the new earth, will we need sun? No, why? Jesus is the light. So, if you were standing next to the sun, what would happen to you? You just burn up, right? So there's going to be something different here. We can stand next to the sun. It's not going to bother us any. Right now, we depend on the sun, but we have to have an intermediary for everything. What's the intermediary for us to benefit from the sun? Well, well, yeah. What? Plants. Plants. Plants take the energy from the sun, then we eat the plants. Now, I don't think that's going to be necessary anymore. As a matter of fact, I think we're just going to revel in this light. And the same light we revel in 
is going to be the same light that causes the other people to recoil. Let me just look at this last part of Revelation. Then, can you do your little skit? I think I've lost that voice, just like all. Oh, you did. Okay, darn. Well, I'll tell you what it was going to be then. Uh, look at Revelation twenty-two. Revelation twenty-two. Right, this is the very last part of the Bible. Behold, I'm coming quickly. This is 22, uh, uh, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. This is one of the rewards in the, in the sequence of the seven churches. And may enter into the gates into the city. Not everybody gets to go in. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, I told you that time sequencing and prophecy you can't always bank on. So this could be rolling back to before the new earth. My best reading, though, is this is in the new earth. So who in the new earth could defile the city? Who in the new earth is immoral and, and, uh, and, loves, and pra- loves and practices a lie? Well, there's this real fascinating verse in um, Isaiah 14. And it says that it's talking about Satan. Oh, how you've fallen from heaven, oh, son of the morning, Lucifer. And it says people are going to walk by and say, Is that the man that made all the nations tremble? That? So the rest of my picture is I think the people who don't have this resurrected capability are going to be in pain and torment by the sun by this light this light that's just going to going to uh, debilitate them that same list of people when we read in uh, 20 was the ones cast into the lake of fire yeah they're cast into the lake of fire so the picture I get is the lake of fire is going to be right amongst us and there's going to be the opportunity to walk along and say, that's Satan? That, he's, just, he's just a little pile of ashes now. That's, that's the picture I get. If you don't like that picture, do your own. It doesn't bother me a bit. Okay? What's the big point? The big point is, sin has consequences now and forever. And obedience has massive consequences now. Love, joy, peace, patience, a better life. And forever rewards beyond what we can even imagine. So the picture I was going to get uh, uh, Brandon to do that I think is a great picture of this is the creature Gollum. Gollum got what he wanted, right? If you know this story, he, he wanted the precious, the little ring. And he's just totally obsessed on this ring, I have to have it. And he becomes this miserable and wretched creature that always wants to live underground. And when he goes outside, what does he say about the sun? We hate it. We hate it. Right? It's just it's just debilitating too. I, I kind of think that's what that's I think I think Tolkien kind of got that picture. The darkness hates the light, doesn't it? And if you you've done this before, hadn't we've all done this? We get in a sin and we start perpetuating it, and truth starts coming in. No, no, I don't want truth. So let's embrace the light. Let's embrace the consuming fire. 
Let's embrace the purifying fire. When God brings trials into your life, it's a tremendous opportunity to be purged of sin in this life and learn to walk in this obedience that makes you not only a fulfilled person in this life, but the kind of person that can be the reigning person rather than the purged person. Now, I'm not even going to pretend to talk about how that works. and so I don't know. I just get this overall model that there's going to be this massive opportunity to be uh, in the light. And there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to like that, and they're going to not, not going to like it forever. It's ought to be motivation for us, the way we live our lives, and also to serve others. Because as we serve others, maybe they can escape the power of sin themselves. Jesus, thank you for being the light and the lamb and the bright as the sun. And I pray that as we just contemplate these things, that you'll help us know you better, embrace you better. I've thrown a lot of things at these folks today, Lord. And I pray that you just have your spirit come in and, and work with them where they are and, and, and chew on these words. And, and uh, that as a group here, we will just have uh, wisdom as we seek you and seek your face and, and seek your uh, knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, uh, prof- prophecy questions at Gmail. Uh, sorry, prophetic, prophetic questions at Gmail. Uh, surely you have some questions after this one. Come on. I'm not getting many questions, so hit me. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, address whatever your questions are. Propheticquestions at gmail.com. All right? Thanks.